Would you take out your Bibles? Let's dive into God's word. Let's see what he says. See, church is a fun place where we get a chance to glorify God. We get a chance to talk to God. We get a chance to learn and hear from God. We are going to be both reading out of the scriptures and we're going to begin today in Luke chapter 22. Verse 24, if you need a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you, page 882. We're both going to be reading out of Scripture, and also there's a combo account that we will be throwing on the screens a little bit later. But today, we are in part 81 of the Being Jesus series, and just so you know, I finished prepping out the series, and there is an end. There is is 100 parts to it, all right? So there's 100 parts to the series. We're on part 81 today, whether or not Jesus will tarry. By the time we get to the end, I have no idea. However, if he does not come back, we will at some point finish this series. All right, praise God. Part 81, I entitled today's message, The Deception of Pride. And I just want to point out the obvious. Pride makes you do weird things. Pride makes you do things that are just not normal. And as a matter of fact, if we recorded some of those things, you'd feel really foolish. Um, I, I think that probably the most common way that pride has ever been preached historically is to remind you that it was pride that turned Lucifer into Satan. Yeah? Uh, the pinnacle of God's creation, the most beautiful creature, became the most wicked, the most destructive. And that transferred through pride. And so what I guess I'm asking us is, what is pride doing to you? Is it stealing your beauty? Is it stealing that which is magical and beautiful and wonderful about you? How much has it distorted you and twisted you and affected you? Because the reality is, is that God is glorious and majestic, but the more and more he blesses us, The more and more he loves on us, the more and more he empowers us, the more convinced we are that it's us. You understand what I mean? It almost seems like God would get more glory if he was spotty in his miracles, right? Because then you would kind of know it's God. But anytime he's consistent, we think it's us. You know what I'm talking about? Like, for example, let's say you had a huge uh, company thing that you needed to do where you, were, you had to go present to somebody and there was all these numbers and you were thinking, man, this is over my head. And you prayed right then and there at your cubicle. God, would you give me the download of wisdom like Solomon? That, Lord, that I cannot handle all this. I do not know all the numbers. I do not know how to present it right. I do not know what to say. I do not know how to convince them. I believe this is the right and good and perfect way for this company to go. But I don't know if I can present it right. God, would you bless me with supernatural wisdom? And let's say he just hit and it went amazing. And you knew it wasn't you. How much glory would go up to God? Probably a ton, right? I mean, you'd just be, wow, for a long time. But let's say he consistently did that, and you launched your own company, you're quite convinced it's just you and your brilliance. You understand? I mean, if he's consistent in his miracles, suddenly he gets his glory ripped off. We're no longer amazed. We just think it's us. We tend to have this attitude of, God, I really appreciate you for getting me out of the womb. I've been doing pretty good since then, right? (laughs) Right? You know, this whole idea that you got me rolling, now you can back off because I got this one, right? These are the deceptions of pride. It's very insidious. Pride is a hard one to get out because we can't always see it, 
We can't always see what's going on inside of our own hearts. So here we have a really odd situation. We're now at the last week of Jesus. We know that Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. We know that we went through that, the Last Supper, that whole communion time, what some people call the Eucharist. We had all of that done. And we don't know when this event occurred, but somehow they got into an argument about who was more awesome. And this is where we're going to pick up our story. It seems so inappropriate, right? Let's take a look at this. Luke chapter 22, verse 24. Um, a- as you grab that scripture, I also need to give you the fill in the blank on the sheet that was handed to you at the front door. You got that one? As I wrote it, I was thinking of this analogy. Imagine that we're all running for exercise with Jesus, which I know is completely ridiculous. <laughs> Most of us are like, uh, no, I don't care if Jesus was running. I'm not running. So anyway, uh, let's say we're all running and we're running in uh, a crowded, heavy place like San Francisco. Jesus has this amazing pace and he's just kind of easy running. He's getting everybody coming along. And we decide that since we feel really good and really invigorated, you know how much we could impress him if we just like ran right past him? And we were just, woo, look at me, Jesus. And we just haul out and he turns left. You understand what I'm saying? So now we're two blocks down. Nobody's with us. And we're like, oh. So then we got to run back and go catch Jesus. And then he's still jogging at the same pace. And we're like, hey, hi, Lord, how you doing? And he's like, man, you look out of breath. What's up? And you're like, well, I just was like going down. And it doesn't matter. Anyway, so, uh, and he's like, well, that's funny because we still got a little while to go. And I gave you all the energy to get over there. I didn't give you the energy to go two blocks down that way. The bottom line is the fill in the blank in front of you is don't run faster than Jesus. Whenever we think that we're all that, whenever we think that we're a big deal, we start wanting to flex our muscles and show what we can do. But if Jesus didn't ask you to flex your muscles and show what you can do, it's probably a bad idea. Don't run ahead of Jesus. He's the one and he can turn on a dime. Let's keep track with him. You've got to be within hearing distance to know what he desires from us. We pick it up in Luke twenty-two twenty-four, and it says this. A dispute also arose among the disciples as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. What? How did that go? Do you understand this isn't the first time? They're in the south. They're down by Jerusalem. And they're having this debate about who's most awesome. But this isn't the first time they've been rebuked for this. Just listen to this in Mark 9:33, And the disciples and Jesus came to Capernaum. That's in the north. Completely different environment. Not the same story. And when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you guys talking about on the way? But they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. He even sat them down and called the 12, said, if anyone wants to be first, he has to be last and servant of all. And he brings a child in their midst and says, you got to be like this. He's already rebuked them for this. And here they go again. And you go, man, those disciples are stupid. Didn't he already tell you not to do that? I don't know. How many sermons have you heard? Oh, that's right. That's right. I don't think we haven't heard enough sermons. I think we haven't lived enough sermons. You know what I'm talking about? All right. So then it says, A dispute arose among them as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. How did that argument go? How awkward is that? Right? And they probably did it because of seating arrangement. The way it works in a banquet, if you remember, is that your most important person to you is on your right. 
second most important person to you is on your left. Then it goes to the next person on the right, next person on the left, next person on the right, next person on the left. And it goes down the table. Everybody has an order. Well, how in the world are you supposed to order yourselves? Usually the host tells you to sit in certain places. But what if Jesus walks in and allows them to sort it out? What if they're like, man, what are you doing sitting in my seat, dude? What do you mean sitting in your seat? I'm sitting in my seat. Yeah, I know, but okay, let's go, let's go. How many, how many exorcisms last month? Go, go. Did you go 28? 32, get out of my seat. That's what I'm telling you. You know what I mean? I mean, this argument of, man, when I preach, you know how many people got saved? 15, dude, what do you got? Oh, eight. Get out of my seat, dude, go. You don't have any idea what you're doing, right? Okay, when you listen to it, if you recorded it, it'd be embarrassing, right? Well, let's talk about what happens in your household. Let's say we recorded some of your family arguments, and we went ahead and played them up on the screen. You know how silly you'd look? Really? You're arguing about a butter dish? Why are we arguing about the butter dish? This is dumb. Why are you... I mean, you're like, you're like screaming at each other over a butter dish. Well, you realize it's not about the butter dish. It's this power struggle and blah, 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 blah. Okay, it's embarrassing. Why? Because it doesn't sound like it should be coming from a believer. That's why. And all that stuff that we're saying, I mean, we look at these people and we're like, wow, that's awkward for them. No, it's awkward for all of us. There's things that we say where we're just, it shouldn't come out of our mouths. It's just not right. And he said to him, guys, and you know, he realizes he's going to be gone. I mean, tomorrow's the cross. He's going to be gone. So he knows he's leaving it with these guys. He's got to nail these guys down so that they're not bad leaders. And right now on this last night, they're together. They're arguing about who's more awesome. He's going, this is never going to work, guys. Stop. He said to them, you guys, this is how the world does it. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. See, the world does it by domination. Man, I got more money than you, I can crush you. I got more power than you, I can shut you down. The world does it based on who can lord it over someone else. He said, I don't want that to be the case with the leadership in the church. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader is the one who serves. Okay, what does that mean? The youngest has no claim to authority in this society. The society we're talking about in the ancient Near East, it was all about the elders had the authority. He said, so all of you that have the authority, I want you to act like the kids that don't have any. And you go, well, what does that mean? I thought I was supposed to lead. No, you are. You go, well, how can I lead if I'm not using authority? Well, hold on. It depends on how you exert your authority. If you don't have a title, how do you lead? By example. Because here's the thing, if you're working at an office with a company and there is someone that is always helping everybody else, they're more brilliant than everybody else, and they're the ones that will help you with your project, who are you going to follow? That person. What if they don't have a title above their door? Do you care? Nope. You're going to go with a person that can help you out. They're leading by example. They don't need a title. They don't need something on their door to say that they're a big dog. You just follow them. That's how you have to do it in that culture. If you're young, you had to lead by example. Do you remember when Paul said to Timothy, I need you to set an example for all the other believers in purity and speech. Remember all that? 
He's like, you can't tell them they have to follow you. You guide them and you influence them to them being better. Gentlemen, an example for you is that I believe that the Bible is relatively clear that you are the head of your household. What that means is, is it means that you're going to get busted for whatever goes down in your house, whether you like it or not. And some men try to lead their homes by domination, that they're physically stronger or that they're older or that they have access to the money more. And they use that as a lordship over their family. Do you understand how wrong that is? Gentlemen, I want you to lead like as if you had no authority. You had to lead by example. You had to lead by, by influencing your family that they would go, man, I want to go to dad because he's the guy with the right heart. I want to go to dad because I know that he has my best interest in mind. I want to go to dad because he's willing to give whatever he has to empower me. That's how you should lead. You don't lead by domination. I'm the dad. I say that's how it goes. That's just not the best form of leadership. All right? He said, guys, who's greater? Verse 27. One who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who's sitting at the table? But I'm among you and I'm the one who's serving. What, what does that mean? He's like, hold on, who's the servant? Oh, that's right, the person that brings the food. The person sitting at the table, that's the master. So the master's more important, right? Right, okay. But that's really odd because I'm here and I'm clearly the big dog in the room. And yet I'm the one washing your feet. I'm the one loving on you. I'm the one praying for you. I'm the one shielding you. So hold on. If I do that, are you telling me you're better than me? Is that what you're telling me? Peter, John, Bartholomew, Philip, Andrew, let me talk to you for a moment. Do you really think you're more important than me? Then do what I do. You don't say, yeah, I understand. I saw Jesus' example, but I like my way better. No, you don't like your way better. It's not better. I want you to do. I'm the one. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. I am the almighty. I am the commander of the army of God. That before the manger, I was in all the glory. I'm the one that can slaughter 140,000 Assyrians in one moment. I'm the one who in the beginning was me. I was with God. I am God. If anyone has the ability to claim power and authority, it is me. And yet, how am I treating you guys? So don't play this game that you're better than me and you can dominate other people. That's not right. I didn't do that. And if you want to call yourself a follower of me, I need you to follow me. Don't call yourself a follower of me if you're doing your own way. Because then you're not a follower of anybody. You're just doing your own thing. He said, guys, let me be honest with you. Verse 28, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. Guys, we've seen some cool stuff the last three years, and we've also been beat up by the authorities. Man, you remember that time when they wanted to kill me? You remember the time they were going to throw me off the cliff? Do you remember the time when, man, it's scary, and it's been rough on us. But you've walked with me. I need you to know that you've been through some tough times, but there's a blessing to being hitched to my wagon. I assign to you, as my father has assigned to me, a kingdom. Guys, I want you to run what I give you, and I'm giving you the world. My father told me to be obedient, listen to his voice, and do what he told me to do, and I've been running the show. Guys, I'm going to step out, I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to ask you to run the show. Okay, but that means you've got to listen to me, 
You got to be tracking with me. You got to have my authority and be empowered by me. But I need you to do this. It's going to be hard, but it's still going to be doable. An example on what it would look like, the kingdom is that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. In other words, I'll give you my resources and you will sit on the throne judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I'll give you the authority. What it means is one day all Israel is going to have to stand before Jesus and they have to look upon the one they pierced. They're going to have to realize that they rejected their Messiah and there's going to be a lot of judgment in that moment. Sitting on the sides of Jesus will be the 12 disciples, the other guys they killed. And they're going to have to look and they're going to have to go, dang, I messed up. This is not what I wanted to do. I didn't know. I'm sorry, God, or I did know and I didn't want to listen. But as they sit on those 12 thrones, it will be justified. We were connected to the right guy. We were doing what we were asked to do. And you didn't recognize it in us. So he said, guys, you will be vindicated. Hang in with me, but it's going to be tough. Now let's go to the combo account. Let's throw this up because around this exact same time, this went down. Now the author right here, uh, John, he links the story right after Judas walked out. Now the other gospel accounts let us know that a bunch of stuff happened in between. But since we're beginning with John, uh, it begins when Judas had gone out Jesus said this super weird cryptic phrase. He said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. How did that go? Anybody know that? No, not very clear. Okay, let's try adding in Jesus's name and let's see if this helps out. Now is Jesus glorified and God is glorified in Jesus. If God is glorified in Jesus, God will also glorify Jesus in himself and glorify Jesus at once. Did that help? No, not really. Okay. You want to know what it means? Here's the simple thing. First of all, let's define our terms. What's glory? A lot of glorify this, glorify that. What is glory? Glory is honor. Glory, glory is that which makes you look good, right? I mean, we've talked about this before. Glory is what makes other people go, wow. Or, man, I really respect that. Or think of you highly. Uh, for example, let's say you're talking to one of my staff members and you go, hey, what's it like working with Pastor Lance? And they said, well, and they pause for a really long time. And then, and then they're like, well, there is one thing I can tell you. That guy absolutely loves people. Okay, do you understand the glory will rise from that because that is my goal. That is my heart. I want to love on people well. And so I would feel like as you walk away, you go, man, that sounds a lot like Jesus. Oh, that's cool. And all of a sudden, glory rises about me because glory rises about Jesus because glory rises about the Father. So all he's saying right here is, guys, now that we're coming down to the end, watch my dad shine. I'm heading to the cross and there's nothing that shows my dad's love and power more than the cross. I'm going to end up looking good because the father's going to glorify me. Once I raise again, you're going to go, wow, you're going to be so amazed. I'm going to look good. He's going to look good and you're going to get it. And all of a sudden, all this glory is going to rise because why I was obedient. So let's make this practical. Obedience leads to the glory of God. How much is God looking good through you? If obeying God makes him look good. Now, who does it make him look good in front of? 
Well, not just other people. I mean, you know, you, you hear some of these stories and you, you read some of these testimonies of people that were obedient to God. I don't know if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you know, which is this brutal book about people that have died for Jesus, right? And you watch them go all the way to death. And you're, and what ends up happening is you go, man, God must be so important. These people are willing to die for him. It makes God look good, right? Well, in the same way, when we obey, it makes God look good. When we say yes, God, and no to ourselves, God looks good. Not just other people see it, but angels see it. Not only angels, but demons see it. Everybody's going, man, God is a big deal because we're obeying him. So every time we're disobedient, it kicks his name down a notch. Do you understand? Because then they're going, wait, wait, wait. Obviously, God's not that important if they're not even willing to obey him. Our disobedience takes God's glory away. But our obedience glorifies and magnifies him. Jesus did the ultimate act of obedience of going to the cross. The cross demonstrates the incredible love for God. It says that God loves the world so much that he gave his only son... That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The cross demonstrates that God loves people even in their broken condition. The cross makes God look good. And Jesus said, now comes the time I'm going to the cross. Watch my dad shine. That's all he just said. Then he says, little children, I am a little while I'm with you. Now, this kind of makes me chuckle because we look at it and we're like, oh, that's super sweet. Do you understand that there's like 13 burly men in a room? I mean, these are like fishermen. These are carpenters. These are, and he's like, little children. They're like, yes, daddy. And it's just weird. It's just funny. But in their minds, they know that when Jesus talks, the father talks. And so they're very comfortable with the idea that a 33-year-old man can call them little children and they get it. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. Okay, right there, Peter stopped listening. Right there, the guy is going, I hate when he says that. He keeps saying he's going away and then we can't come with him. That really, really bugs me. Stop saying that. But then Jesus keeps continuing. He says, guys, when I'm gone, I need you to lead a certain way. I told you that. So let's talk about it again. I'm giving you a fresh commandment, not a new one, like new in quality or new as if it's different. I'm giving you a fresh perspective on a commandment. Love one another. Now, just as I have loved you, I, you also are to love one another. Now, by this type of love, the type of love I'm talking about, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another like this. Okay. What does he mean about this love? Well, it could mean four things. It could mean the type of love Jesus exhibits is sacrificial, I'll die for you love. That's not common. That's not normal. And when the world sees that, I'll die for you, they pay attention. How do we know that? Y'all remember the three hometown heroes that just stopped the terrorist attack overseas? You know, and, and one of those young men, his dad's a pastor locally here and super great family. And uh, 
I mean, just understand the whole world's paying attention. I just saw those guys on every news station everywhere. Why? Because when someone puts their life on the line to save other people, you got to take notice. They didn't know it was going to go down like that. They didn't know that it was all going to work out. They knew they could die in that process, but they did not stop. And when you do that type of radical sacrifice, everybody has to shut up and pay attention. And so the world did. And Jesus said, when you do that, because you were built in me. Now, some of them, I don't know if all of them are believers. I don't know anything about those guys. All I know is that if they did it out of the motivation that Christ said, sacrifice your life to one to another, and they didn't merely do it out of being soldiers, then I would go, dang, the world has to pay attention to that. That they would go, wow, your Jesus gave you such a a fire to protect other people that you would throw your life in the way. That's awesome. How is the world not supposed to notice that? Clearly they do. It also could mean motivation. Jesus said, I'm loving you out of the love that I've gotten from my father. And I have loved you. I want you to love other people with that kind of love, that filled up love that you're okay. And now you can love on other people. It also means he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. So we have a power that helps us to love other people that the world doesn't have. There's times when you're going to want to hate and the Holy Spirit's going to come in and transform that hate into love. And that's not from you. The world's going to pay attention to that. I mean, I remember reading the story of Corrie ten Boom. You guys, you guys remember her? Uh, Corrie ten Boom, The Hiding Place and all that stuff, those books. If you remember, uh, I don't know if you heard the story, but afterwards she was at a speaking engagement and one of the Nazi soldiers that helped to kill her family came into her speaking engagement. And she, she forgave him and began to, he began to cry because he understands that he was partially responsible for the murder of her family and yet because of what jesus had done to her she forgave him okay that's not normal that will change lives and so this guy this hardened man gave his life to christ looking at that kind of love and then also jesus created a new family that we're now treat each other like brothers and sisters which is not normal either when you'll do stuff for your family, you won't do for your neighbor. But now we're family together. So now we sacrifice for one another. The whole point is, when we love like Jesus, the world takes notice. So let me ask you, is your love of such a quality that other people know it? Or do they still look at you and go, man, I'd rather go hang with my druggy friends because they're more loving than you are, you church people. Whoa, that's tough. Now, remember I told you, Peter stopped listening a while back, all right? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? (laughs) Like, uh, you gave me that whole new commandment thing, whatever. Anyway, you said that you're going somewhere and I can't come. Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Now, that's kind of a, yay, oh. Why? Because where's he going? He's going to die. So he's like, you can't come right now. Yay, but you will. Oh, (laughs) right? It was this kind of, I'm not sure how to feel about this information, but I get to be with you. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I don't care what it is. I'll lay down my life for you. Okay, before we get into the rest of the story, which some of you already know where we're going on this, can we just please appreciate Peter's heart right here? 
Peter is desperate to be near Jesus. He doesn't like the idea that he would be separated. Let me ask you, are you that passionate? Because he's about to deny the Lord and we're gonna, he's going to get embarrassed and all the gospel writers are going to write about it in the best-selling book of all time and everyone's going to know his failure. But he wants to be near Jesus. Are you still having a hard time getting to church? He's passionate for Jesus. Are you having a hard time even praying? He's passionate for Jesus. Do you not even want to listen to what Jesus said in his word? He's all in for Jesus. Do you not even think about Christ? Okay, so I understand he's about to be uh, foolish and an idiot and we're going to make fun of him and all that stuff, but here's the deal. That guy loves his Jesus. And I understand he's not very solid. I understand he doesn't have a great foundation, but he's fired up and he wants to be with his Jesus. And I got to give that guy credit. I mean, there are people that I look at and their passion for Jesus and I go, man, when I grow up, I want to be just like that. You know what I mean? Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, really? You're going to lay down your life for me, huh? Jesus said to them, you guys, you're all going to fall away because of me tonight. Now, talk about dropping a bomb in the room. Tonight? What do you mean tonight? We're all good. Everybody here is locked and loaded. I don't know where Judas is. He's somewhere. But anyway, the rest of us, we're all in. What do you mean tonight? Tonight, you're all going to be baited in a trap, be offended by what's happening to me, and you're all going to walk away from me. Because it was written in Scripture this way. Zechariah 13, 7. God says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Okay, what is that passage? Do you all remember that passage? No, probably not. God strikes a shepherd and the sheep scatter. And you're like, why is he striking the shepherd? I think that's talking about the suffering servant of the Old Testament, the Messiah. Why is God striking the Messiah? He did not the father allow Jesus to go to the cross. He struck the shepherd and all of a sudden all the sheep scattered. Why? According to Zechariah, it was to purify the flock. It was to allow them to go through a trial by which they would be sharpened. And come back together stronger. He said, by the way, after I'm raised up, how cool is that? He looks right through the cross and goes, by the way, I'm coming back. When I get back, I'm going to go ahead of you guys to Galilee. I'll meet you back home. That's pretty awesome. But Peter still has some thoughts. Peter answered him, even though all these pansies fall away because of you, I will not. I will never fall away. Now, he's not making any friends, you understand? Uh, Even though all these losers, you know, and you're like, and the guy's like, hey, what are you doing, man? He's like, even though everyone else falls away, I will never fall away. And Jesus goes, Simon, Simon. Now, if Jesus had changed your name to Peter and he's been calling you Peter for three years and he just reverts back to Simon and he has to say it twice, (laughs) not good stuff's coming. Simon, Simon. Seriously, kid, check this out. Right? Behold, Satan demanded to have all of you. Now, this is interesting. I know you probably read this passage a million times. Did you know that the you is plural? Satan has demanded to have all of you to that he might sift you all like wheat. What does that mean? It means it's going to get nasty. It's going to rip you apart. It's going to separate every piece of you. And then that which is good is going to go here. And that which is bad is going to go here. Now, he wants to take you out. But I've prayed for you, singular, Peter, 
So that's a trip, right? Satan's trying to wreck everybody. I prayed for you, dude. Why did he single him out? Because look at this. I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, uh uh-oh, you can't turn back unless you what? Turn away. When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Why is he singling Peter out? I think there's something deep here about leadership because he's about to put Peter in charge of the whole group. But he's the one that's going to fail, most obviously. He's the one that's going to be written about. So why? Because I think that Peter needs to learn something about grace to lead the other people. Peter's going to be really embarrassed by what happens. It's hard to be cocky and arrogant when everyone knows that you're that dude that bailed on Jesus clearest, right? And when you're in charge, don't you think they always have something over your head? Well, at least I didn't walk away from my Lord and curse his name three times, right? Don't get in my face, Peter, right? But if, do you understand? He's doing the same thing that Judas is doing. But if Jesus can bring him back into the fold and restore him to leadership, how much does that say about God's grace? Do you remember he did the same thing with Paul the Apostle? He could have grabbed Paul the Apostle earlier in life, but do you remember when he grabbed him? He was already a Christian killer. And when Paul would tell his testimony, he's like, I'm the chief of sinners. And they're like, no, 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 you're just saying that. He's like, dude, I killed people. (laughs) You're like, oh, well, okay, you're right. You're probably the chief of sinners. And he's like, listen, if God gave me grace, do you know how much grace he has for you? And suddenly that authority takes place where he can no longer lord it over anybody else because they can go back and go, dude, I didn't kill any Christians. And, And there's that humility. I think there's a power thing there that God is working with. But notice Peter can't hear any of it. But Peter said to him emphatically, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said to him, listen up, boy, this is deep. Peter, the rooster will not crow twice this day by 4 a.m. until you have disowned me three times tonight that you even know me. Okay, that's shattering. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I'm not going to disown you. And all the disciples are like, yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Okay. Somehow... Peter's perception of himself and reality are not working together. Somehow Peter is thinking that he's something that he's not. Somehow this pride has crept in and it's going to get re-racked really hard. Okay, so let me just ask you this and make this personal to all of us. Do we have a clear assessment of who we are? Do we have a clear assessment of where we're at in our Christianity? Now, we cannot overestimate nor underestimate ourselves. If we keep playing this game of, oh, I'm a nobody, well, then you're never going to lead and guide anybody as a role model because you don't think you are anybody. Maybe you have been walking with the Lord. Maybe it's time for you to step up into leadership. Or maybe you think you're all that and you're not. (laughs) Maybe you've seen some cool stuff, done some cool stuff, and now you think you can train everybody and that you're now the big dog in your own mind. And the whole time, God is going, you know, you're passionate but you don't have a foundation. When I was playing back in the band, back in the, the late 80s, early 90s, there was a, 
a band that was in our same genre of music, really hardcore music. And, and they were going into some really dark places and just promoting Christ unapologetically. There was a guy and he was kind of an associate pastor at a church and he was really, really intense. And I remember thinking, dang, I mean, those guys are even more hardcore, it seems like, than we are. About four years later, after I was out of music, I looked up his website. He had denied Christ completely and was an atheist. Okay, I know you've met folks like this. A lot of passion, no foundation. And you go, how can you go from that to this? They didn't. They went from this to this because you didn't see their foundation. You looked at their excitement. They're not as grounded as they think they are. They're just full of a lot of air. So understand, do we have an assessment of ourselves? Are we really growing or are we playing games? Are we hearing sermons but not living sermons? Are we saying that we love people but we don't actively love people? Are we so full of our emotion about things but doing nothing? Because I don't believe that's a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus follows Jesus. Are we that? Because I'll tell you, what the enemy can do is he's completely fine with you bragging. He's completely fine with you thinking things. What he's not cool with is you transforming. What he's not okay with you is you live in it. The minute you start to transform and live it, he's going to come alive and come after you. So if everything's cool for you spiritually, why is he all right with you being the way that you are? Hmm different ways to assess yourselves. God, may we be the people you designed us to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray as the prayer team comes up here. If you need any extra prayer today, they're going to be up here. They would love to pray with you. The whole reason they are here is to love on you and care for you and intercede for you. So please, by all means, take advantage of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I bless your people. I bless your family, my family. God, I pray that your blessing would be upon them, that they would be uh, favored in your eyes, favored in the world's eyes. Lord, that which they put their hands to that is holy and healthy, I ask God that you would bless it. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to knit them together all the way to the car, on their ride to wherever they're going, and, Father, meet them where they are headed. I pray, Lord, that you would knit together our families and that you would heal our marriages. I pray that you'd raise up our children, and, Father, that you would give those of us that have lived with you many years, would you give us honor and wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time.